Before we start the show, I want to thank the thousands of you, the thousands who have read This Book Will Make You Dangerous. Many of you have told me that the book's unique way of exploring fear, confidence, and purpose has had a lasting impact, that it's much easier for you to get clarity and direction about what really matters and what you want to do in this lifetime. It's also amazing to hear that quite a few of you have read it multiple times and even bought copies for friends, so thank you again. Just in case you weren't aware, I created a free companion video course for the book. And in these videos, I walk you through the big takeaways and practices from each chapter. And I even cover some extra stuff that's not included in the book. Information on how to access the course is in newer versions of the book. And if you own an older version of the book and you don't know how to access the course, just hit me up via the contact form at triplinear.com and we'll get you all set up. And one last thing, if you're one of the thousands who have already read the book, please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading. This book will make you dangerous. And now let's start the show. You are listening to the new man beyond the macho jerk and the new age wimp. Your host is men's coach, Trip Lemire. What if your normal level of stress, anxiety, or depression didn't have to be normal? Do you feel like you're using work, alcohol, or something else to outrun the uncomfortable thoughts in your head? And how can we use our stress and darkness to help us live a more full, rewarding life? Before Keith Kurlander became a founder of the Integrative Psychiatry Center, he struggled with serious mental health issues. He ran away from the promise of a highly lucrative life on Wall Street to find relief on a path which took many, many turns. He worked with everyone from yoga teachers to therapists to meds to shamans to psychedelics to you name it. He tried it, but none of those approaches alone worked for him. These days, he's dialed in his brain, his body, and his behaviors, and his life is back on track. So what worked? What had him go from struggling to get off the couch to being a husband and father leading two companies today. Today, we explore his story and the reality that all of us deal with some form of mental illness on some level. Here's to all of us realizing that maybe, just maybe, we don't have to hide, outrun, or settle if we don't want to. Give me a sense of your professional background. I just, we'll kind of get a sense of who you are today and then we'll go backwards and, and kind of connect the dots how you got here. Um, yeah. So what is, what is your work today? What is your, how do you identify yourself today? What, give us that, that picture. Today, I'm mostly an entrepreneur, uh, I'm basically entirely an entrepreneur. Uh, and you know, I, I was more formally trained as a psychotherapist did that for 15 years is like my sole work, like really focused on that. Did some teaching at local universities on the side, but today I'm much more focused on two startup companies. One is, uh, the integrative psychiatry center. And right now we have one location in Boulder and that's a psychedelic medicine clinic and an integrative psychiatry clinic where we're doing, you know, those two main services, treating patients. And then the other is the integrative psychiatry Institute, which is an online educational institute. That's really, really looking at like how to educate medical providers in integrative medicine to look at the root causes of mental illness. 
Okay. Got it. Got it. So you've been able to grow from your own personal experience, which we're going to talk about, then your professional experience now to a greater offering out into the world. Um, because this can yeah. expand, this can scale beyond just you having your own personal practice. Yeah, it, it was like a drive. It, it was multifaceted what led to that. It was like a drive to reach way more people than I was able to do in one-on-one work. And my, I was you know, super passionate about helping people with their mental health and optimization in their life. But it was like I was doing one-on-one where I was like learning the trade. But then it was like I want to be able to help masses of people, Mm -hmm. right? Globally. And so that was part, partly what drove me into being more of an entrepreneur and looking at, you know, how could I do this with companies? And then also, you know, as I kept getting older, I was like the one-on-one hour, my, what my time was worth. It just started to make more sense to have something that, um, was more scalable. Yeah. Okay. I can appreciate that. Um, I want to set a little context here because I have my own personal background. I've had my own uh, path to go down in terms of my own mental health and emotional well-being, And I work a lot with very high performing guys, very driven, very ambitious folks that maybe aren't so aware of their mental health or they, they haven't quite taken a look at those gauges on the dashboard. They seem to be really focused on their work and what they're creating and how the, you know, the kind of their performance level, but they never really take a look at what's happening for themselves emotionally. They never really take a look at the way they talk to themselves or what is going on between their ears. And my sense is that a lot of them are suffering maybe unnecessarily. They're, they're tolerating a lot of grind and drag uh, in between their ears. And a lot of their, their, their drive to work so hard is to try to outrun these voices, this, this critical voice or whatever they've got going on. And so I wanted to get a, I wanted to learn more about you, your past a bit, um, in, in hopes that whoever's listening might, might think, well, wait a second, maybe, maybe what's going on for me doesn't have to be the norm and I can expand to another level. But first I got to wake up to what is happening. And so that, that's my desire. That's my hope is, as um, in the frame that I'm going to hold as I listen to you today. Yeah, thanks. I, you know, I did it a little, um, backwards from the norm. Uh, I would say like fresh out of college, I, you know, I, I thought I was going down one path of going to wall street and being this, you know, probably investment broker at some point. And, but I quickly within days of that path ended up on this big kind of spiritual, emotional, mental pursuit of development. Okay. How did that that happen? Right. (laughs) Well, exactly. How the hell did that happen? Well, that's a good story. I mean, I'll tell you a quick little snippet of this story because it's really cool. So um, I was over, I was as a kid, like I would call myself like almost a philosopher as a kid. I was always just like wondering a lot about the nature of things. But the way that that happened was I had my own mental health journey in college. And we, we could get in there, but, you know, pretty severe mental health journey in college. But I was... Um, deeply in question about what I wanted to do in the world and not like just do something because I think that's what I'm supposed to do or what I was raised to do. And I was in a major question and it all culminated. This is the short little story. I was in a deep process in myself, but 
I the the summer before I graduated college, I had an internship at Bear Stearns, and Bear Stearns at the time, which went down in 2008, was one of the largest brokerage firms in the world. I had this internship, and I I found millions of dollars for them that they were losing in a computer glitch, um, and then they were so um, you know they were like, oh my god, how did you find that? And and anyways, they they offered me to be their Y2K liaison in an inter in the big interfirm task force because everybody thought the world was ending for Y2K, and so they offered me this position and it was a big position straight out of college, right? It was huge, and so I had this one side of me that was like I grew up in Central New Jersey, like this would be like in Central New Jersey, this is like you know anything, it's everything, right? Yeah. So I was like, I told them I would take it, but I was in this huge conflict of like, I don't think I'm supposed to be on wall street. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do, but I think I'm supposed to help people in a different way. It's not this way. And I was in this huge conflict. Anyways, the, the long story short here, I was on the train for my first day of work when I was going to sign this three-year contract. Uh, and I was also in a little bit of an apocalyptic mentality of like, I don't think I want to be in New York on Y2K. <laughs> so I was in this huge conflict in myself. And I, I basically got uh, underneath the World Trade Center subway station. And I had this like catharsis of like, this is absolutely not my life. I broke down. I was freaking out. I was crying. I was shaking on the floor in the subway. And wow. I was like, this absolutely isn't my life. And I got on a different train and just went up to Vermont and was like, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm hmm. going to go figure it out. So that was kind of the kickoff of like, how did I get here? It was for me, it was a catharsis um, moment in my life. Obviously, it's not like that for everyone where I was like, I want to challenge what I've been told and find out who I am. And how did, I'm curious because, you know, most of us, when we're starting something big or something new, it's just scary and our brains can tell us this is the worst thing. Everything's going to fall apart. Don't do it. Whether we're getting married to the person we love or we're going to move and start a new job, those things can be really good and positive for us. But our, our nervous system is like, nope, this has changed. This is uncomfortable. This is uncertain. So stop. So did you have a sense of what was different at that point? Or did you say, I always love to like, kind of the, the self-knowing part. Like, how do we tell the difference yeah. between that resistance, that fear and that part of us is like, nope, this is just not for me. Well, first of all, I was terrified when I got on the other train. <laughs> I was so scared. And my parents were like, see you later. They were that this was the this was the biggest heartbreak moment I from my perception of their life in that moment. Like that was a big deal for them. They were kind of disowning you? Yeah, kind wow. of. I mean, we very quickly got back into connection. But yes, in that moment, it was like you're on your own. See you later. Mm. You know. It was it was awful. But I, I just, there was always this inner, um, and has always been an inner kind of compass. And, and the one from that moment forward, I knew how to listen to it better. Somehow I, I listened to it more clearly in that moment. And then ever since then, like, I've never been confused about my direction at all. Not once since then. Like, that's not something I ever face in myself. Okay. I've never looked, I never have a lack of meaning. I never have a lack of being purposeful, fulfilled. Like, I always know which way to go in terms of my compass ever since that moment in time. And it was just weird. That's just, I don't know why it, it kind of flipped for me one day where I'm like, oh, that's my compass. There it is. 
I can, I've, I've got a theory here because most of the time when I'm talking to guys and they've reached, they're on the other side, they flipped it. They've done, they, they got, they, st- they got off the train and went into the building and took the job Yeah, and they right. betrayed somewhere in them. They, they learned to quiet down or turn the volume down on those voices. Like, right. wait a second, you're meant for something else. And like, just shut up. I'm here to make money and I'm here to make my parents yeah. happy and I'm here to meet these expectations. And then at some point, a decade, two, three decades later, they're like, wait a second. I've got to do something with more meaning. And then they're in this dark night, so to speak. And like, who am I? I don't know who I am if I'm not chasing this money or I'm, I'm not upholding this, um, you know, this identity. Um, and so it sounds like you, you learn to listen to that early on and, and ground yourself in that compass. Whereas guys, uh, many guys are kind of like, well, who am I now? I, I've reached this point where I've I'm trying to figure out who I am. Does that resonate for you? Totally. Well, yeah. You know, that's why I said I kind of flipped it because like I wasn't focused on, and this isn't, there's benefits and drawbacks the way I did it. Like I wasn't focused in my twenties on like, um, building skill sets that, um, were going to help me in business or like, I, I just was focused on like personal development. Right. And so I kind of flipped it. I was doing that. Whereas like most of the guys I've ever worked with, like you're saying it's the opposite. Like most of them are coming like in their crisis. I have my crisis when I was 21. Most of the guys are having that came to, that come to me are having more of like in their mid thirties, mid forties, mid fifties are having that kind of existential meaning crisis then, right. but they've built all these other skill sets along the way. So like it, there's drawbacks and benefits to whenever this happens, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I just happen to focus on personal development as you know, my twenties really being about personal development. Yeah. The point I'll, I want to make, and then we'll move on is that I, I, how it's occurring for me is that if we, if we don't learn to listen or at least just have an appreciation for that voice in us that says, Hey, there's something else for you. This is, there's, there's a thing wanting to be lived through you and as you in this lifetime, if we shut that down and we only do the things that we think we need to do for survival in terms of like, Oh, I got to be comfortable. I got to make sure that I'm safe. I got to make sure that I look good and I've got good standing in my community. If, if we only do that stuff, then we don't really know that there's a life beyond that stuff. And so I can imagine from an early age, if I was like, well, I'm, I'm, I can challenge this idea that I always need to be comfortable. I can challenge this idea that I always need to be safe or I always need to, need to fit in. Like, what will others think of me? What will my parents think of me? Then we don't see what's on the other side of it. And we, we, we miss that opportunity to, to recognize that there's more to life than just those, those three things. So anyway, I, I yeah, I, no, I hear you. And I, and I would just say like that, you know, I think that most humans in general, they it's human nature to not truly challenge the constructs inside ourselves. Like it it takes something in your life to go inside and say, wait a second, is this actually me? Um, and, and many people never do that. And some people do it early and some people do it later in their life. And, you know, there's, Oh, I, I think that for me, the message is like, you know, the, the best time to wake up is right now in your life. Like, yeah. don't worry about what happened yesterday. It's like, if you can wake up right now, then you're living a wakeful life. And, and I, I agree though. I think many people don't challenge what they've been told about who they are to go look at who they actually are inside. Yeah. And I believe it's because most of us think like, well, if I were to listen to that, then I'll, I'll blow everything up. I will, I'll get on that train to Vermont and I'll blow everything up. And I don't think it has to be that way. It doesn't have to be that extreme. (laughs) Um, You know, if you're in a family, it doesn't mean you have to leave your family. Right. Right. But 
Um, but it, but there is a, uh, a chaos and a blowing up of sort of what we once knew. Right. So it does take a lot of adaptation, resourcefulness to, to, to live into who you are. Yeah. Yeah. And I, risk, I a, right. Do you yeah. agree with that? It's, it's a risk to be who you are. It is a risk. Yeah. There's, there's definitely a lot to that. I, you know, in my own life, I remember having that kind of place, but it took me two years. It, it wasn't a blowing up process. It was more of a dismantling process. And I, I think that's, why do I bring that up? I, I want to bring that up because I think most of us are waiting to wake up until it's safe, until the coast is clear, until we have the perfect plan. The next, the next thing is all set up. And I don't think it has to be that way. I think we can have that intention. Hey, it's time for me to wake up now. How do I do this in a way that's grounded? And I do care about my family. I do care about income, et cetera. I don't have to be reckless about that. And, uh, so I just want to speak to that. It, it you know, it's still going to yeah, be uncomfortable. Like you. you said, still going to be uncomfortable, still going to be risky, yeah. but it doesn't have to be this, you know, roll a grenade in the room and, and it doesn't, it. you know, and I, and I tell people, I work with a lot of people who are starting businesses and I'm like, you can do this in a responsible way. You don't have to like put your entire, you know, worth on the line here and not be able to have an income for your family. Like it doesn't have to be that way. There's, there's, there, there's a strategic way yeah. to becoming who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well then, so that you getting on the train of Vermont is just the beginning of this. Um, let's talk about what was really going on for you. You were this introspective person. You were this philosopher type. And so what starts happening for you after you make the choice not to go uh, the Wall Street path? Well, we should have the mental health dialogue in this because that's a very important part of my journey, which is suffering from extreme mental states, you know, in, in psychiatry, it would be called mental illness, but, um, either way I was, I was dealing with these, um, cycles of extreme mental illness, uh, where, you know, I would get very, uh, I'm on the bipolar spectrum is what it would typically be called. So I would have this low grade kind of depression, like, uh, meaninglessness, like not sure. That's not true. Not meaninglessness, just like feeling flat. And, but mostly I would get agitated when these cycles would happen and, you know, be psychotically just kind of messed up, like very, um, intrusive thoughts, which are like thoughts that just don't feel like your own, not, not so much hallucinations, but just like, I don't think that way. Why am I thinking that way? You know, violent thoughts and, um, I would be like out of my body, which is called depersonalization. I would feel like I was literally like not in my body. That's a very uncomfortable feeling. Wow. Um, you know, it's extreme anxiety, like my whole body wouldn't function right. My gut was all messed up. So I would oscillate from these extreme mental illness states, um, to getting more in the bipolar spectrum. I'd be like spiritually high. I'd be like, Oh my God, like divine God, like everything's amazing. Not like psychotic where I was like, I'm Jesus, but just like, you know, like everything's amazing. Right. And like, and I didn't have a context so much at that time. I knew I was struggling with stuff, but I was kind of in denial that there was something to really do about it. Um, at that moment in time. So I was on this kind of spiritual journey in my head. That's what I thought I was on. And I was where I was like seeking yoga and like teachers and, but I actually was really suffering in a, in a serious way the whole time in my twenties. 
And were you and seeking so, the spiritual stuff to, as a remedy or, or had you owned like, Hey, there's something off here and you were trying to f- find a remedy for it. Or was it just like, this is just the way I am. And I'm into yoga and spirituality. Yeah, It's such a good question. Like, I, I think that it was both. Like I, I definitely knew I was seeking relief mm. from my pain, which I, you know, I've met a lot of people in spiritual communities pretty much everyone, anyone I've ever met is seeking relief from something or else what's, why are you trying to attain something? If everything was fine, (laughs) you wouldn't be there. So like most people have some pretty serious mental states in these spiritual communities that they're trying to relieve themselves from. But, um, so there was that. And then there was also just like, I, again, the philosopher spiritual seeker in me was like looking for, um, truth and trying to, um, understand reality and connect to something outside of myself. So it was kind of a combination of both. Um, and were you private in your suffering or were you, there's such a stigma, you know, even guys that I talk to that have just this constant grade of anxiety or constant grade of depression. There's this thing like, yeah, well, a lot of people are, why should I be happy? Like, well, there's no sense of like, they can always point to the content in their life. Well, I got shit to do and I got this and I'm just going to, my parents are this yeah. and that. And it's like, yeah. there's always, some, there's always a thing to point to and say, that's why I feel this way. Were you out in the open and, and recognizing that this was not so much content related, it was more about what was something else going on, maybe perhaps with your brain? Well, I didn't realize it was about my brain at the time because there wasn't a lot of so so at that moment in time, I, I knew I, I was dealing with some mental health issues. I mean, I knew that. Um, you know, and and really the only thing we had then from a psychiatric lens was really like you know, a reductionistic model of this is neurotransmitter issues. That's really all they could ever tell me, right? Take a pill. So like that yes. and take your pill. And, and like the problem with that was like, it didn't give me answers. Right. It, and, and we could talk about medicine if we want, but that's a yeah. whole nother. So, um, so I knew I was struggling, but was I out and telling everyone I was struggling in this way? No, because, and, and as you just said, like, th- I mean, I think it's global, but I'll just talk at least in the U S for the moment. Like we have such, um, you know, so many ideas of what mental disorders are in our heads, so many stereotypes, so many stigmas. And, you know, what we don't want to talk about, like on a human level, is that everyone is always working with their mental state and everyone is on a spectrum of moving into disorder and order. And like, if you want to optimize there, like, great. If you're on that journey to take that on, but like people don't want to talk about the fact that like, there's no one that doesn't go into mental disorder in their lifetime. Everyone gets into those places. Some people have more of these concrete disorders that really come up in big ways and show up in these big ways, you know, like clinical depression, major depression and you know, bipolar or those can show up a little more concretely. But like, you know, we don't it's just it's a conversation people are so afraid to have because it's the most intimate suffering within oneself. Right. And so people don't want to reveal that. Sure. Yeah. And it's also I mean, you folks were just getting locked away decades ago, just a few decades ago, you were if you fell under any, that umbrella was so wide, you just got locked away. And yeah, I mean, right. So there was, it, a lot, which is different you know. than like, Oh, I've got a thing going on with my gut. 
and we're going to treat you. And there's no stigma necessarily around that. But if you got something going on, if I'm going to reduce it to the brain again as an organ, there's this stigma. Oh, yeah, you're in you're in the nut house stigma so about to speak. the brain. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's all like you're if you're smart or you're not smart or you're, you know, psychotic or you're not like there's a huge stigma about this organ. It's uh, it's really interesting. OK, I pulled you off track there in the story. But I, I um, so we, you were talking about that. You you were aware that you were doing this, but you were also seeking uh, some relief. Yeah. Now, you know, my 20s was was a magical time. I mean, I had these waves of pretty chaotic interstates, but I was on this spiritual journey. And at some point, you know, I'm, I'm, I become a yoga teacher. I became a massage therapist in my early twenties. And then I decided I wanted to go to Nairobi university, become a psychotherapist and transpersonal psychotherapy. And this was, um, to answer your question, it was like, I wanted to help myself cause I was still suffering pretty intensely. Right. Like, I mean, I would walk down the street and I'd be terrified, like always, you know, I'm looking over my shoulder, basically, wow. like that's the state I'm living in it. And I was living in my whole life. Were you getting help so, at this point? Or were you, were you all alone? No, in this? I was, I was all alone, but I was doing okay. It was just like, I <laughs> just didn't, walking I, down the street, terrified. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. Like you said it before, like, you know, it's like people go like, Oh, like I, uh, whatever, I'll deal with that later. Or, you know, I, th- I thought that like, this is as good as it gets. Like, I didn't know that like, it could be so much better, you know? I, I, I want to just interject. Like I, I can appreciate that. You know, I, my mom died when I was 13, she took her own life. And I think it was 12 years later, I was sitting in front of a therapist and she was like, well, how often do you think about these things? And how often are you pissed off at your mom? And I was like, oh, you know, every 30 minutes, every 45 minutes. And she's like, okay. Yeah. She's like, you know, it, it, maybe it doesn't have to be that way. And I was like, what are you talking about? This is normal. Like, I'm just pissed right. off at my mom all day. <laughs> totally. Right. It's and like, I'm just like, oh, I'm just an anxious, you know, paranoid, um, you know, dissociated out of my body. This is as good as it gets. Like, yeah, it. I thought it's like, I, I was like, oh, maybe I'm just a little different than other people. Right. <laughs> so, um, right. So, so that led me to like, a two-folded path, which was I wanted to help myself by going through a experiential psychotherapy program at Naropa, but I also wanted to like help people because I was, I was, had so much empathy from all the suffering, you know? So then I went to Naropa and that was, you know, that was just an amazing time in my life of really learning about some of the root causes basically of what I was dealing with. Um, now this was, you know, again, this was 20 years ago and the root causes that I was learning then is like, you know, 10, 5% of what I know now, um, in terms of what was, Mm -hmm. I was actually dealing with. Um, but it was an amazing time. And, um, you know, I, I also learned how to practice therapy and then I started providing therapy in my late twenties and, um, things were looking pretty good at that moment until my thirties, but things were starting to like lighten up a little in me. I was feeling, I still had all these issues, but they were, they settled a little bit during those years. Um, and they were pretty settled in my early thirties and then in my mid thirties, things got as bad as they ever got. Um, okay. What happened? Yeah. What was going on? Well, what happened was, I didn't tell this part of the story. All of this kind of got in my face when I was 19 after a psilocybin journey um, is when it all kicked up. Like I, I, I was not well as a kid, you know, in, in 
retroflect reflection when I reflect back on my childhood, but it really kicked up from a psilocybin journey. In my thirties, um, I got pretty involved with an ayahuasca community in my early to mid thirties. And every time I would do ayahuasca, I would have this experience that was just so profoundly, um, intense and disturbing at the same time. It was like intense. It was like my twenties except times 20. Like it was like, it was like the spiritual experiences, but the mental like craziness on medicine every time I would just go completely mad. And I kept doing it thinking that ayahuasca was going to cure me quote unquote, uh, or, or not cure me, but just, I thought it was my spiritual path and it was going to heal these parts of myself, but I got really, really sick. Um, and I did ayahuasca for about, I don't know, probably four or five years, about 25 times. And then I was really sick. Um, I'll just give you a flavor of what really sick is. So uh, my, like my whole body was not working properly. I had severe IBS, you know, I was sh literally sh like shitting water for a year, like all day long with just like horrible cramps. I had migraines, severe migraines every other day went on for years. Um, I was like all the symptoms I told you, intrusive thoughts, I would have like thousands of thoughts a day and not plans, just intense thoughts of like weird, intrusive thoughts, thinking like, what happens if I pick up this knife and stab this person? Oh my God, I would ruin my whole life and just like get overwhelmed in the terror that maybe I would do that for some crazy reason. Wow. And just like thousands of those thoughts a day. Mm. I was totally disorganized in my mind, like at the, that the worst of it, one time I was holding an egg and I couldn't remember what the purpose of an egg was. Like I was ready to crack it and make breakfast, but I couldn't actually remember what an egg is and like what you do with it. So like, this is how, you know, far out I went. Um, and you're like, I, I just need more I, ayahuasca. That's what I was thinking at the time. That's what I was being told by the shamans. Mm. Um, and then, and I, you know, I was, I was like, maybe that's the path. And, uh, you know, I had severe insomnia. I mean, I, mean, I didn't, I barely slept for like a year. <laughs> like it was so intense. And so, so I was really sick. Um, and I finally decided in myself at some point, like, okay, I, I clearly ayahuasca is not helping here. It's not solving the problem. And I need to do something now because now I'm really screwed up. I mean, I was, you know, I didn't want to kill myself, but I was having suicidal thoughts because I was so in so much pain. Right. Yeah. Like, so then it started a new journey of another journey of psychiatry. I started that when I was 19 and was on meds, got off of them, was mostly not on meds. And then I got back on meds. Um, and you know, meds in my mid thirties were, it's been a mixed bag for me with meds. It's like, I always tell people meds, like I'll take my symptoms if I'm at a 10 on a one to 10, they'll take them to like a five or a four, but every like three to five months, I'll go back up to a seven or eight. And then we have to tweak the meds and it takes a few months and then I'm back down to a five or four. So, so, you know, being the type of symptoms I'm talking about, if I'm at a 10 going to a five is actually a big relief, Yeah, but it's not, I mean, it's not good enough at all. Right. And I so, imagine it doesn't address that part of you of like, what the hell is going on? We're not dealing yeah, with this at exactly. the root. Yeah. And then I was also obviously like, no one can understand me. I mean, no one's been able to tell me what's going on. Why is this happening? And so then I started, that was like two years on, I, I was on meds for a while, but, um, 
those first two years on meds, I was mostly like heavily medicated and just kind of like, fuck, I can't deal with my journey right now. Mm -hmm. Like I'm just taking a break. And so like, I just didn't really push myself for a couple of years, settled down. Um, but I was still doing this oscillation, the five to 10, and then something woke back up in me, you know, it was, it was mostly like my wife and some good friends challenging me, like, where are you? Like, this isn't you just like sitting on the beach here and being like, okay, you're all, you know, flattened out for meds. Like, that's not you. Like, where, where, where are you? Like, where's, where's your inspi inspiration for growth? And hearing that enough times that it woke back up. Um, after basically being this traumatic experience, you know, that I went through, um, and then the real healing happened after that period. I mean, that's where it really kicked in, um, major healing then started to happen. So I want to, let's just zoom out for a second. Cause it, you know, in, in my experience of healing stuff over the years, there's, there's been these kind of camps there's the everything's trauma related and we need to process and talk about the trauma. And then there's this kind of mystical orientation, which is it's your disconnection from God, divine spirit. And that's why you're, right. you're sick. And then, but there's no processing or there's no psych psychology in that either. Right. Uh, there's the go sit on a meditation cushion and just cry it out. I've been to retreats where people are losing their freaking minds on meditation cushions there. They're losing freaking minds on ayahuasca or whatever it is. And there's, but there's right. no one there to help them. So there's right. these camps and they're, they're not quite done it for you in and of itself. So I just want to paint that picture that we don't want to demonize them completely, but they've been incomplete for you at the very least. Um, is that, is that resonating yeah. for you? Well, they were incomplete only in the sense that they weren't talking to each other. So the problem was that I was, I was engaging different parts of and fields of treatments and, and healing, uh, modalities and, but in silos. And so the problem was that I, I didn't find practitioners that integrated all these things into, into a, a coherent treatment system. So because of that, I would do what you're saying. And I think this is, um, this is the biggest drawback people or, or, um, obstacle people could do, which is they get hyper-focused on it's trauma only. And the thing is, it's, you know, what I grew to discover about mental health, you know, I became more of an integral philosopher, you could say. And I, I discovered that really integration is what heals. Yeah. If you, if you isolate healing modalities, you're not integrating, you can't integrate parts of yourself solely by isolating healing modalities. So that's when I discovered integrative psychiatry, which, you know, we're in the Institute, we're really trying to codify this term of what it means, um, is what, you know, we're out there, you know, trying to show that you can bring these, these different fields together. But that's when I found integrative psychiatry and, and I was, creating an integral treatment system going like, I can't just do the trauma work without doing the biohacking. Like it was like, they're, they're actually the same. They need to speak to each other. Yeah. And so it was like, I brought all, together all these things and actually found an integrative psychiatrist, you know, who's already thinking this way, um, you know, working with the supplements and the brain hacking and the gut hacking and, you know, the detoxification hacking, uh, and then also like bringing in the trauma work and, 
Um, and then also the values work, which is like, you know, just making sure I'm aligned with my behavior and what I care about and, uh, you know, all these different systems and integrating. And that's when the healing just basically, it was like a logarithmic curve. It took off. That's great to hear. I want to get into that more. And it also just speaks to why I talk to so many guys that are frustrated. You know, it's like, yeah, I went to a therapist for a while. It didn't work. Or I, I tried this thing. I tried meds for a while. It didn't work. Or I did this for a while. It didn't work. And it's like, looking back on it, I was like, of course it didn't work. You only had one cylinder of the engine firing, or you only had one kind of piece of the software firing yeah. and, and they all need to talk to each other. We all need to understand how the brain and the body are working on a physiological level you know, if you can't produce serotonin or you can't process dopamine or whatever, why would your brain function correctly? It doesn't matter how much trauma work you do yeah. or how much spiritual work you do. The brain's oh, fucked. Yeah. Then you're not going to have, you're not going to be able to shift that state of mind. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's the problem in the education in the mental health space right now um, is that, you know, we're, <laughs> it's like, the, it's like we're a V12 engine, right? And, and oh, we're just like, I want to hear a V12 cell. right now. Just like, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Well, <laughs> My friend just got a Ferrari F40, by the way. Oh, That's a nice car. Oh, we're going to um, have to talk about that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. like, Ooh, My brain yeah, neurons I'm, are firing right now. I okay. Um, yeah, it's cool. Uh, yeah, so yeah, when you go to a therapist or a psychiatrist or a nurse practitioner, and they've basically been trained like you know almost everybody, which is like a very reductionistic field of their own study – and they actually don't have the therapist and the psychiatrist actually don't know more than like one or three root causes that you could be dealing with when there's like 20 to 40 that you need to kind of be able to synthesize for a person yeah. into what they're dealing with. And that's the biggest issue right now in mental health care um, or, or the healing circles and spirituality. That's the biggest issue is that um, most people are not up to date on um, yeah. what we know now. We know a lot. And most it has changed so much in the past 10 years. Just 10 even years. in the past 10 years, it has, it's been wonderful to see how things are coming together. And then in the last, what, three or four, it's really hockey sticked with some of the more actual integrative practices. Uh, totally. And the wearables out. that are coming out, like, you know, you can, you know, all these wearables, we can do better biohacking. Like there's just, we know so much more now. Okay. So, yeah. so what has worked for you? I understand that, you know, there's not one size fits all, but based on, yeah. What, when you talk about that, you took an integrative approach, did that mean you were still being the one that, that was spearheading it? Or were you able to go to someone and they were like, no, we're going to, we're going to develop a program and, and put all these things together for you. Cause I, that's what I feel like is I, if I have a problem I got to be the one that talks to all the different doctors and they're like, yeah, I, I look, I only look at hips or I only look at eyeballs and we don't look at the whole system. So I, okay. That was a lot of questions, but I just want to know what worked for you. And, and did you have to hold that frame for putting all the pieces together or was that part of who helped you? It was mostly, so it was part of who helped me in terms of people starting to have those frames, but it, but I would tell anyone it's a co-creative process with your practitioner because the, the moment you give away your complete authority to the practitioner that knows you and your inner, they know your inner healing wisdom better than you do. Like the moment you do that, you can't get better. So, uh, so for me, it was a co-creative process. Why not? What, explain that just so I understand that. Because the thing is, is that you have to, you're, you're, 
your intuition has to be online with next steps. It doesn't mean you can't go to someone that says, I think this is your next step. Your intuition has to be online and go, okay, I agree. I think you're right. Um, if your intuition is not online, um, you know, you're, you're going to be subordinating, uh, ultimately your inner wisdom, but you do need to go to people that know more than you so they can start saying, here's what I think is going on. How do you feel about this? If you're not a hundred percent bought in, you're not going to get better. You know, mm -hmm. you really yeah. better. I mean, you could get a little better. What so I hear I in there is kind of that, that it's kind of a victim, not a powerless mindset. It's like here, fix me, which is different than we're going to, we're going to work together and I'm going to be giving you feedback and I'm going to be ultimately the authority on this, but you're going to be informing me, which, but there's a lot of people like, here, here's my money. Just fix me. And that, that yeah. doesn't work. Well, yeah, hearing. it is a victim. It's a yeah. victim who says, fix me. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the, you know, the treatment provider has authority on the treatment plan, but like you have to have authority on agreeing to anything and checking in with yourself and making sure it sounds like that's the next step for you. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that was always there for me. So I always had that, but then I started once I really like, well, did you, cause it sounded like the ayahuasca part was where you kind of maybe were listening to the shamans a little too much. Well, that's a good question and point, but so psychedelics, you know, I run a psychedelic center now, which is really interesting about my <laughs> No, I wanted to get back right? to that, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? So I do believe that psychedelics woke up in me and the ayahuasca woke up in me a drive for finding healing and truth and integration in a way that maybe I would have never had without it. So I believe that it had a strong benefit. It's just that the way I was using it and how often it wasn't correct constitutionally for me. And so I, I think I was definitely couldn't find my inner wisdom. I was trying to listen. Like when the shamans were saying, just keep drinking, I was like, is that truth for me? Or is that just a shaman not knowing me? And I was in that deep question until yeah. I finally said the shaman's not knowing me. Um, I'm moving on here. Okay. All right. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. I just want to, it's, I, I love this part about it really taking ownership and being willing to push back and to really check in with ourselves as we go through the process. And, and it's, it's sticky in that way. Like, you know, knowing that there's a dip in every process where it's probably going to feel worse and more confusing and before it starts to feel better sometimes too. So. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Now we get back to, to what's actually worked for you. <laughs> so I found a, kick ass, probably one of the best integrative psychiatrists on the planet, I would say. I mean, I know them all now because we train them. <laughs> um, I know them all. I mean, and he's definitely in the top 10. Like, so he helped do the functional medicine work for me that I needed, which was, you know, repairing my gut, um, dealing with detoxification of mold, uh, in my case, um, it was, you know, a lot of other things with supplements in terms of different pr processes that are happening in the body, uh, balancing different, you know, neurochemicals in my brain, um, and, and using meds at the time I was still on meds, um, and, and, and doing, a, you know, I've been on a five year taper on meds, no seven year taper. I mean, I have a super, super, super subclinical dose of something less that just because I, I've been really strategic and responsible. And if you don't go slow, typically you rebound. And I, every time I have to wean, I rebound. So I've been on a seven year taper. Okay. Um, so, so he was instrumental 
instrumental, you know, alongside of this was trauma work, um, in a new way. I found the type of trauma work that resonated with my way of thinking and my imagination. You know, a trauma work is, I think, very relevant for many people, but you got to find the modality that resonates with the way you are. Um, cause there's not a one size fits all. Um, and then it was like behavioral change was massive for me, you know, cause when you're, when you're that mentally screwed up, you tend to have issues in your behavior, you know, addictions and uh, robotic behaviors and impulsive behaviors. So like I had, you know, a lot of laziness. I had ADD. I have like every single disorder in the DSM, the, you know, <laughs> the psychiatric manual. Like I was labeled in my lifetime. Like basically I got everything except psychotic disorders and personality disorders. I got them all. I got like severe depression, severe anxiety, severe ADD, uh, severe OCD, severe bipolar. Like I got them all, which is why I don't love that manual. <laughs> Cause it's like, okay, what all you, gotta, you can read through it. And it's like, uh, it's like reading a horoscope. It's like, yeah, that's me. That I other know. one's me. And so the birth of my daughter two near a few years ago was another layer of healing for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that was just like time to grow up. Like not, you know, I don't get to be sick anymore. You know, it's like, it's her turn to, to, for me to be present for her. And, was there ever a shadow side of that, which is you get to be the sick guy? You know, I've met a lot of wound worshippers oh, yeah. where it's just like, yeah, they're, they're kind of let off the hook. They don't have to really do anything in their life because they're sick. You know, it's like, oh, poor, poor this person or poor that well, person. And yeah. I mean, you're pointing out that in all mental disorders, we enter the disorder because it serves us in some way. Okay. And everyone the, the mental disorder, it goes into a dis, disordered state mentally because it serves us in some way. It doesn't only harm us. And that's the first part of anyone's healing is if you believe that the mental disorder you're experiencing in yourself is only hurtful to you, you're not going to get better. You're a victim to the mental disorder. But if you start to balance the story and you could see what you're talking about, which, well, how, what do I get out of this mental disorder in my life? And when it's you start helping me, I'm that, choosing it for it because it's a, it's a way to cope or it's getting me something. It, 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 it's getting me something. Well, am I willing to ask the question? What is it getting me? Is it getting me attention from my parent? Is it getting me attention from my partner? Um, is it, is it giving me time off of work? Um, cause I get to stay home now. Like it gives me something and you know, so many people are unwilling to see what we get out of things that feel painful and are only wanting to look at how it hurts us. But when you start to balance the story, now you can start to go, well, how else can I get these things without having a mental disorder? Cause I don't want to have a mental disorder, but I still want these things. Yeah. I still want time off of work. I still want attention. Like now you can start to go, wait a second. What if I don't want my mental disorder to give me these things when you can make that link? It's a big link. So, so that's, you know, I, what's called linking. And, and that was a big part of my healing journey was linking. Like, what does this give me and how can I get it differently? Yeah. I, I'm glad you brought that up because I think there's a, there's a place where we can lose ourselves in that. And that was certainly what I saw a lot in the culture that I was in, 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 in Boulder. There was, it was like there, everybody's, there was, there was a lot of people like that was their kind of hobby was this personal healing path. And there's an aspect of it where it wasn't really about, I didn't get that it was about healing. It was about, I get to just kind of hang out here and 
be the center of my attention and have lots of other attention. And, um, but I didn't get that. There were people that genuinely wanted to be happy and to feel whole again. That was, that was a different, that's a different path of like, I'm sick of feeling this way and I want to feel happy and whole and I'm going to go and, you know, it's, it's a difference between like, if I'm healing a, an injury, right. It's like, I can sit and talk about my injury, but it's another thing. Like I'm going to do the work to actually strengthen myself. Yeah. I think it's a developmental stage of healing. Like, it's, it's, it's like waking up to that. We've become obsessed with our suffering. It's hard to notice when we become obsessed with the drama of suffering and that the drama actually becomes interesting. And we don't even realize we're actually being entertained by the whole drama, even though it's painful. And that, you know, we call that spiritual bypassing in, in Boulder. Um, that term gets floated a lot, spiritual bypassing. It's not, it's when we use spirituality as a, as a mechanism to avoid something in our life, essentially, whether it's mental health or financial empowerment or, or relational empowerment, whatever it is. Um, but you know, that's a, I think it's a developmental stage of healing that many people get stuck in for years or their whole life, which is like the drama of personal development and the drama of the pain. Um, and then having to wake up, somehow and come out of that and go, wait a second. Like, I don't even want this anymore. I don't want to be on a healing journey. You know, like that's I just want to enjoy my life. Like, I just want to live my life. Like, I don't want to, like, I want to help other people. I don't want to be focused on my healing journey in a, in a like narcissistic, like overly narcissistic way where I'm indulging in it. Like, I just want to optimize now. I don't want to heal this dramatic thing. I just want to optimize. And, but that's, again, it's a developmental stage of healing. You have to somehow do some work in that other stage of kind of getting obsessed and, 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 and realize at some point, all right, I'm done with this stage. I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. This is not serving me anymore. I'm just, I'm just kind of circling this, you know, I'm stuck in this phase. You're in the hamster wheel. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm actually not getting anywhere. Right. Um, Okay. So this integrative approach, having the different modalities, the different, you know, these different silos opening up and being able to speak with one another, you were, you'd already leaned into a few of them, but now having them work together, this brought about, uh, what what you're saying is the real healing for you instead of just band-aids and and that continues to be the case for you. Um, do you still cycle? Do you still go through these, through these bouts? So I haven't been in about, so if let's, let's talk symptoms on a scale of one to 10, I haven't had symptoms above, uh, three or four in multiple years now. And in the last two and a half, three years, the, even when I go from a one to a three or a four, it hasn't lasted for more than like a few days to a week. Okay. And a three or four for me, I can tolerate. It's not, a, it's, it's like probably like the average person walking down the street. <laughs> like, you know, um, most people are pretty fucked up, unfortunately, like people need help. Right. Yeah. So, you know, basically I would say I've been very stable. I mean, more than stable, you know, outside of those moments that I know how to get myself out of, and I'm not saying I'm not being arrogant. I'm not saying I'll never get really sick again, but outside of those moments that I know I get myself out of, like I'm highly optimized, right? Like I have a lot of routines. I'm super focused at work. Like I, you know, I'm getting done a thousand things in the day of my, you know, I'm, we're running big companies here. We've got a lot of staff, like 
super optimized, super on track. You know, I've, I've, my fitness is on track. My diet is on track. My sleep is on track. Like, you know, I've, I think that going through a, a, a suffering fest for so long allows you to seek some, it's one way to, to seeking peak performance. You know, there's yeah. other, there's other people, there's athletes and stuff that didn't go down this road and they still got to peak performance. But for me, like the suffer fest, you really appreciate when you know you're in more optimized states and you'll, and you'll go after them when you really wake up, you know, and try and maintain them. So for the guy that's listening out there and maybe he kind of hangs out in a group of guys who were they're all kind of hanging out in the same world where they're a little bit depressed, a little bit anxious. They're all self-medicating together with complaining and bitching and, and, uh, or depression or whatever that or thing alcohol is. alcohol or sex, alcohol. Or, there's a yeah. lot of ways we all do it. I mean, yeah. And it's yeah. norm. So when they look around, they're like, well, I'm what's normal. And maybe he's starting to wake up and say, I'm tired of this. This, this way of living is not how I want to be living five, 10, 20 years from now. Does he have, we've, we've talked about these extremes, right? Like high performance athletes. And then someone like you, Hey, I've got to do something different. Cause I, you know, I'm on a self-destructive path here. So what about that guy that's doing pretty good and he doesn't really have anything to complain about? Can he utilize some of the things that you've been talking about to optimize his world? Well, I think that that guy has to ask himself a, a very important question, which is like, what is he willing to discover in this lifetime? Is he, is he want to just be the status quo guy that's, you know, playing video games a lot and just, you know, checking out a lot. It like, that's fine. If he wants to be that guy, it, I don't have no judgment of that guy or, you know, he's got to answer the question. Does he want to see what he's truly capable of in this lifetime? What he's truly, what his true potential is, what he can truly give to this world, what he can experience in an ongoing manner regularly in terms of the bliss of being alive, um, what he can truly experience in terms of intimacy with a partner, uh, if they want that, you know, or with a child or th th this person has to ask themselves the question of like, do I, am I willing and wanting to experience more than I have? If I'm not, then I don't tell that guy anything. I just say, that's not a problem. So go play your video game. Cool. Mm -hmm. You know, and you know, I, I think that we have to really think about like when we're on our deathbed, are you already going to say, if you're on your deathbed today, are you going to say like, I'm fucking living. I did it. I did it. And I have absolutely no regret or resentment here about my life. None. You know, I, that's how I feel right now. So I would just say like, if, if a guy wants that, then fucking go make it happen. Everybody can make it happen. Everybody can grow. Everybody can, um, excel. Everybody has a gift in them, their uniqueness, their unique blueprint of who they are and what they have to offer. Everyone has that. Everyone could always experience more optimal states. Um, that, that never ends, you know, and if, if you want that, then you fucking go after it. You mm -hmm. know, you make it your fucking life mission to grow up and be a man. <laughs> <All set>. <laughs> <laughs> can I get an amen? Uh, where can we learn more about you and, and the, the, the stuff that you're bringing to the world? 
I mean, I would first say, you know, uh, check out our podcast, uh, higher practice podcast, because that's, you know, that's where we're talking about the, the technical stuff here of, you know, how do you biohack? How do you light up your soul to get on track? What does trauma work look like? You know, so I would say the higher practice podcast, but you know, for, if you're a provider listening, a medical provider, you check out the integrative psychiatry Institute. Uh, and if you're, you know, uh, somebody who's like, I'm, I need, you know, I'm interested in ketamine. I've got depression or trauma. Like you can check out our center, the integrative psychiatry center, or if you, you know, you're in state come, you know, you want help with an integrative psychiatrist, you can check out our center. But, um, yeah, you know, mostly I don't work with individuals. I do some work with very select people now, um, in terms of who they are. My time's so limited. I, I only really try and work with people in positions of influence just because I want to reach people, you know? And so, that's kind of limited right now. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Well, it's been exciting. I've known you for a long time. We haven't really connected yeah. that much, but you I know, then a lot well, of high fives. And... Like my periphery of like, I, I, I want to see him more. I know. I mean, we don't live near each other now, but yeah, but yeah. it's always, it's, it's always been like, Oh yeah, Keith, what's he up to? That kind of thing. So it's yeah. always been, so it's really exciting. I hadn't, I didn't have any idea what was going on for you during all that time. And so I really, I appreciate getting, this is amazing to, to get yeah. what was going on for you then and to see where you are now. It's been, wow, what a, what a shift, you know, just for, I, I can't really transport that to the, to the guy listening right now, but wow, what a shift, uh, in, in, in a relatively short period of time, really, um, you know, the, the last decade or so it's been, been really exactly yeah. it's a relatively very short period of time. Yeah. I mean, I mean that I'll just leave everybody on that note, which is like, you never know about what's around the corner in terms of how fast the healing could happen. You know, it's like one day you can wake up and look back a year from now and go, holy shit. Like how did so much healing just happen in the past year? And that, that, that year is very close for everyone. If they're willing to really make that year about yeah. that. Yeah. 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 I love it. Thank you so much, yeah. Keith. Really Thanks, appreciate Sam. you coming on to talk today. Yeah. Great to talk to you. If these interviews are helping you, please leave a positive review on whatever podcast app you use so that others can discover the show more easily.